Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Fifth episode of this series, Pride Goes Before Destruction. And we've looked at the first uh, episode that we did. We discussed and defined what is pride. And simply, pride is elevating personal opinion and feelings above God's authoritative word. Pride is elevating, lifting up personal opinions and thoughts, ideas, opinions, one's beliefs above God's authoritative word. That's what pride is. That's what pride is. Humility, we, we did an entire teaching on humility. We did uh, a series that has six episodes. You can go check it out, TikTok. If you click on the link tree, you can see the playlist there that's available on the Gospel Tabernacle YouTube channel. Facebook, YouTube, it's right there. Twitter, it's right there. Check out the playlist. Humility comes before honor. We defined humility. What is humility? Humility is the absolute surrender to God's will. Humility is the absolute surrender to God's will. Pride is the elevation, elevating, lifting up of one's opinions, thoughts, and feelings above God's truth, which is in His Word. Now, why is that dangerous? Well, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12 is our, or excuse me, Proverbs 16, 18 is our theme scripture. For this series, pride goes before destruction. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, before a stumbling. Well, for our series and our teaching, humility comes before honor. Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty and before honor, is humility. So we can see in both those places, and there's many places in Scripture where we see that pride guarantees destruction. Pride guarantees destruction. If you go to James James chapter 4, verse 6, James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resist the proud but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you want to be in a place of receiving more grace, you humble yourself. If you walk in humility, walking in humility guarantees receiving more grace. More grace. Job 22, 29, when they cast you down and say, exaltation will come, then he will save the humble person. He will save the humble person. God is righteous. God is holy. And when you humble yourself under his mighty hand, he'll promote you. He'll exalt you. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 and 6 tell us this. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace 
to the humble. Verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. For he cares for you. So if you desire to be in a place where God will pick up your cares, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. How do you get to that point? How do you get to that place of where God picks up and takes your cares? Well, you have to cast them onto him. You have to give them over to him. But the means by which you give your cares over to the Lord is through, hum is through a humbling of yourself. You know, we hear the word humiliation, and we think of it as a negative connotation. But just technically, the word humiliation simply means to, to be humbled. Now, again, we can think of that, and it, has, it carries a negative connotation oftentimes. But in the scriptural sense, uh, you think of it in like Philippians chapter 2. And we looked at that um, in, in, in the series, Humility Comes Before Honor. If you go to Philippians chapter 2, oftentimes in your Bible, it will talk about the humiliation of Christ how he humiliated or he humbled himself. He actively entered into a place of humility. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. So what mind was in Jesus? What type of mindset, what way of thinking was in Jesus? A mind of humility, a mindset of humility. Let this mind, let this way of thinking, let this thought life, let, let this understanding, let this way of life, the way you carry yourself, be in you. Verse 6, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Remember, Christ, Jesus, He is God. God the Word became flesh. He emptied Himself of who He was as God, humbling Himself, becoming like a man. He made Himself of no reputation. He became, He came as a servant. You know, Jesus said that, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Well, how did he do that? By yielding and obeying the command of the Father. He says that two different times in the book of John. I only say what I hear my Father say, and I only do what I see my Father do. When he's ministering on the earth, he has a responsibility to carry out the will of the Father. And unto death he was obedient. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so what was the end result of Christ? Humbling himself. Therefore God has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So exaltation came to Christ. He was exalted. He was exalted. Uh, 
It's interesting. Uh, Jose says, read Jonah. I actually just taught Jonah to the uh, third, fourth, and fifth grade boys that I teach on Wednesday nights for the past four weeks. And they were saved because they repented. They repented. See, God honors faith. Romans chapter 4 tells us that even as we are the sons of Abraham by faith, we receive righteousness by faith. By faith. And we receive forgiveness when we put our faith in the finished work of the cross of Christ Jesus. Christ shed His blood, as it says in Hebrews. He shed His blood for an eternal sacrifice. Prior to that, it was the blood of bulls, goats, and heifers. And even then, it required faith because the Israelites got to a point where they were sacrificing animals for religious ceremony and God didn't receive it. It always works by faith. And if you truly put your faith in the Lord, you will walk in a life of humility. You will humble yourself because you'll realize all that you are and all your strengths comes from God. Now, let's get to today's topic, which is King Nebuchadnezzar. Old Nebi, old King Nebuchadnezzar. If we go to Daniel chapter 4, we're going to read through a couple, uh, we're going to read through this chapter and let's just take a look at how pride brought great judgment on the King Nebuchadnezzar and at all cost avoid this trap of pride. Daniel chapter 4 verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. So King Nebuchadnezzar, at this point in his life, he's been king for, of Babylon for a long time, and Babylon has expanded its reach, and by the hand of God, Babylon has taken much of Israel. And because Israel fell into sin and refused to repent, refused to repent, they, they fell into sin and they worshipped idols, which is nothing more than demon worship, by way of sexual perversions and child sacrifice. And they refused to turn from their sin even after God continually sent prophet after prophet after prophet to tell them to turn from their sin, these preachers of righteousness. But they would refuse. They refused to turn. So here comes Babylon. The, the protection that's around Israel drops because they're no longer in relationship and fellowship with God. And Babylon comes in by the hand of God as an act of judgment, Babylon comes and takes over Israel, marches through it, takes many captive, and carries many of them off to Babylon. Of those captives, you find Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as Belshazzar, or Belteshazzar, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
but those are the Hebrews name, Hebrew names. Uh, and so here we find them in Daniel chapter 4. At this point, Daniel, they've already passed that test. Him and his three friends have already passed that test in Daniel chapter 1. They refuse to... Hey, Merle, glad to have you on. God bless you. They refused to defile themselves by eating food that was sacrificed to demons. That's in Daniel chapter 1. Because of that, and we're going to see that in just a second, Daniel was given a mighty gift from God to interpret dreams and visions. Daniel chapter 2 is when we have the first dream that Nebuchadnezzar dreams that Daniel interprets. That's when no other magician, astrologer, soothsayer can interpret the dream. In fact, that's when Nebuchadnezzar tells all his whole royal court of astrologers and magicians and soothsayers. He says, look, I've dreamt a dream and I want you to tell me what it means, but I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have to tell me what the dream is and then tell me what it means. And they're basically saying, look, king, you're asking something that no man can do. No king Ask that. The king, you need to tell us what the dream is and then we can tell you what it means. And Nebuchadnezzar basically is saying, Look, you've guys, you guys have been playing around for too long. You're just trying to bide time. I'm gonna kill every single one of you if you don't tell me what the dream is. And when you tell me what the dream is, I'll know that you're legit because when you tell me the dream that I dreamt, I'll know it because I know the dream I dreamt. When you tell it to me, I'll know that the interpretation is also true. And they're saying no man can do that. Well, guess what? They found a man that knew the God of dreams and visions. So Daniel, when he hears that Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill everybody, including him and his three Hebrew buddies, he tells the king, look, just give us a little bit of time. Let us go pray to the God in heaven. And he does that. And Daniel is a man of humility because when you fast forward to Daniel chapter 4, because Daniel chapter 3 you have King Nebuchadnezzar builds this giant statue of himself. That's when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are tested. They refuse to bend their knee and bow and worship. So what does Nebuchadnezzar say? We're going to kill you all. Burns a fire so hot in a furnace that when the men, the guards, throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, it kills them. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are up walking around in the fire with the fourth man, and no one, nothing that's bound them is still on them. But when they come out, their clothes don't smell like fire, their hair's not singed, the hosen, the hats, everything they wear, nothing's burnt on them except the bonds, the chains that were around them. So then you get to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has a second dream. He has a second dream. And again, no one can interpret the dream. So notice what happens. Verse 8, Daniel 4 verse 8. But at last Daniel came before me, his name Belteshazzar. Not to be confused with Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, which we'll look at tomorrow. His name, Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, in him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, which I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. 
The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my back, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth. Bind it with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. And let him be given the heart of a beast. And let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers. And the sentence by the word of the holy ones. In order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. Gives it to whomever he will and sets it over the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation. Since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. It's a wild dream, isn't it? So Nebuchadnezzar has this second dream that we know of. He could have had more, but this is the second dream. The first dream is that man that uh, is made out of gold, uh, gold head, silver chest, uh, what is it, uh, bronze, and then iron, iron, and clay, which is a representation of the Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Roman Empire, revised Roman Empire, and um, the things that is to come, the days of the tribulation, and then that rock that's cut out of the mountain, which is the kingdom of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ, that will destroy all other kingdoms and set up a holy, righteous rule and reign. The only government, there's one perfect government. There is one perfect government and it is yet to be established on the earth. And that is the reign of Christ Jesus, the millennial reign of Christ Jesus. That's the perfect government. It's what we read in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, when it tells us that the government will be sat upon his shoulders. Isaiah chapter 9, let's just read that real quick since I mentioned it. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. You might be thinking, wait, it's, it's July, not Christmas. Here it is, Christmas in July. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with ju judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So that is to come. But in, in Daniel chapter 4, we see King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a second dream. A second dream. And it's of this tree that is chopped down. Everything falls. The branches, the leaves, the fruit. The only thing that's left is a stump. And then take a ring and bind that stump with that ring. The stump and the roots are left. It's interesting, you could go real deep into this, and it's, uh, it'd be really interesting to study out. But it says in verse 17, this is the decree of the watchers, the holy ones. You know, God has a kingdom. I want you to type that in the comments. God has a kingdom. 
Type that in the comments. I've yet to ask you to type anything in the comments yet. God has a kingdom. God has a kingdom. And in his kingdom, he has a hierarchy and an army, a government of angelic supernatural beings. And you, and you should do very deep Bible study. Oftentimes, mm, let me say this. Let me, let me rephrase it so I'm not pessimistic. You need to read your Bible daily because, the, because if you continue to open up your Bible every single day, and I sound like a broken record. Something I say almost every time I, I, I teach and minister the Word of God. You need to read your Bible every day. You need to pray every day. What happens when you read your Bible every day, you begin to know it more and more and more. Like you study anything, the more you study it, the more you know it. The more you know it, the more you believe it. The more you believe it, the more you act on it. The more you speak it, the more you share it. So the more of the Word of God, someone just quickly asked Matteo, May I ask your question, what's your view on speaking on tongues? Speaking on tongues, there's the gift of ministry of the gift of tongues that we see as a gift of the Holy Spirit that is in operation today. Then there's also the personal prayer language of speaking in tongues. And uh, I believe totally in it. I don't believe tongues have passed away at all. I, believe in the, I do not believe in the cessation of the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the present day ministry of the gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. In Jesus' name. It's interesting. Lindsay says, AJ, I do not, uh, oh, you do not come on here because Jose is on here. Well, that's unfortunate, Lindsay. I, I, I refuse to block anyone or stop anyone from commenting. I'm trying to reach people just like Jose. And he's here consistently so that he can hear the gospel. Whether he wants to obey it or not, that's him. But as for me, I'll make sure as many people can hear as possible. I hope you can change your mind, Lindsay. Because not everyone's going to agree with what we believe. That's just the reality of it. But we have to be strong in heart to share the truth of God's word in Jesus' name. So God has a kingdom. And in this kingdom, there are a hierarchy of angels. They're supernatural beings. They're seraphim. Like we see, is it the book of Isaiah? They have the six wings. Two cover their eyes. Two cover their bodies. The King James says their feet. It's a very um, prudish, very... Uh, uh, um, what's the word? Um, modest way to say it's covering their body. Two wings to fly. Then there's cherubim, flaming swords that guard the Garden of Eden, right before Adam and Eve could go back in. Then there's the 24 elders we see in, 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 uh, in the book of Revelation. There's these angelic beings in the book of Ezekiel that have four faces, a man, an eagle, an ox and a lion, and they never turn. They just always go straight forward. So I guess I'm trying to imagine that in my mind, but they have four faces. So I guess depending on which direction they go is which face goes that way, but they don't turn around. They just go forward, and they're a wheel within a wheel. I mean, there's so many magnificent supernatural beings that inhabit this kingdom of God, and they carry out the will of God. Verse 17 the decree of the watchers. So something came about, something took place in the throne room of God and some, these watchers, 
that are seated over nations, over principalities, over regions of the earth. This, they say, Nebuchadnezzar, his time has come. Now, why is that? Verse 19, Daniel chapter 4, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. Now, notice this. Just before it, Nebuchadnezzar says, no, no vision troubles you. He's probably referring to no vision is, is beyond, no dream is beyond your ability to interpret by the power of God, by the Spirit of God. And Daniel makes a point of that. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel consistently says the first time when he interprets the dreams, it's not me, it's not I'm lifting myself up. Daniel says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 30, But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Back up two verses, Daniel 2, verse 28. Daniel gives all glory and all honor to the Lord. He says this, But there is a God in heaven. So it's not the gods you serve, Nebuchadnezzar. It's not these false gods. There's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. He's a revealer of secrets. He is the Lord. And then Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, he begins to honor God, the Almighty One, the Most High. He says, look, your God that fills you, Daniel, the Spirit of the Lord that fills you, He is, let's see what, what it is specifically that that Nebuchadnezzar says. Because I like the way he phrases it. Here it is, verse 47 of Daniel 2. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets. So Daniel gives all glory, all honor to God. And so here he is. He is troubled in his spirit. In Daniel chapter 4, Daniel is troubled in his spirit. Because... I think he really does care for King Nebuchadnezzar. I think he really does honor the king. And I think he really does care for him. I think he does. Because he's troubled. So the king spoke and said to Belteshazzar, Daniel, Do not let the dream of its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may, may those, excuse me, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. In other words, this dream, this dream is something your enemies will love. This dream, this is the people that hate you, they'll be glad for this dream. I would rather it be concerning them. Notice, notice the interpretation. Verse 20, The tree that you saw which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely, and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beast of the field dwelt, and whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. For your greatness has grown and reached to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord, the King. 
They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling place shall be with the beast of the field. And they shall make you eat grass like an oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules, that God rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Listen, this is what Daniel's telling King Nebuchadnezzar. He's saying to Nebuchadnezzar, you are the tree. You are this great, strong tree that's grown up to the heavens. And it has been determined by God and the holy ones, the watchers, have come to carry out, carry out the work of the, of the Lord to chop the tree down. And you're going to fall until seven times pass over. Maybe that phrase means years. But there's a period of time, seven times. Whatever a time is, possibly a year, it passes over seven times. And until that takes place, you're going to graze like an ox. You're going to be changed from a man to a beast and live in the field. You, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is what God is telling you. Now notice this. What does Daniel say to Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel 4, verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening or an extension, a prolonging of your prosperity. Type this in the comments. Break off sin. Break off sin. Type that in the comments for me. Break off sin. That's right, Mr. Donnie, absolutely. God is real. He's my Lord and He is my King as well. Break off sin. That's what Daniel's saying to Nebuchadnezzar. Look, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going down a path that's going to break off, that's going to bring destruction. So right now, repent. Break off sin. Stop your iniquities. Change your ways. That's what repentance means, to change your ways. Repentance means to have a change of heart that results in a change of your ways. You know, I mentioned someone, uh, Jose mentioned it, not to be beneficial, but what the devil meant for evil, the Lord turned it for good. He mentioned Jonah. Jonah doesn't want the people of Nineveh. He doesn't want the people of Nineveh to be saved. He actually runs from doing that. He goes the complete opposite direction of Nineveh, Tarshish. And God said, no, 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 sir. Sends a big fish. Jonah tells the people on the boat when this huge storm comes, look, the storm's here because of my sin. Throw me overboard. He gets thrown overboard, swallowed by the fish. Three days, three nights, fish vomit, comes back up, repents, and he goes and tells Nineveh the word of the Lord. He follows through with what God told him to do. What does Nineveh do? They receive the word of the Lord and they repent. And the Ninevites, the Ninevites, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, which was a major enemy of Israel, they repent. And for 150 some odd years, 
they changed their ways. Now Nahum, another prophet in the Bible, he prophesies the destruction of Nineveh because three generations pass over and unfortunately they've went back into their sins. And the Ninevites, uh, the Assyrians, they, they worshiped gods that revolved yet again around sexual perversion and child sacrifice. And it came to a point where God said, I have to judge their nation. I can't let them keep going on in this, in the sinfulness and this wickedness. You know, it's actually merciful when God brings judgment against sin. Because to continue in sin only brings more destruction. Only brings more destruction. And so Jonah preaches righteousness to them, tells them to repent, and they do. And Jonah gets upset. <laughs> Jonah, Jonah gets upset. Uh, Avalon Nash asked a question that's interesting, so I'll read it and answer it. So did Jonah take a, so did God take away Jonah's free will? Absolutely not. Jonah could have rotted in that fish. Jonah repented. Read it. Jonah chapter two. He repents. That the reason Jonah got spit out of that fish's belly is because he repented. See, the Bible tells us that the way of the transgressor is hard. You and I have free will. We have a choice. And our choices produce consequences. Some good, some bad, depending on the choice you make. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It is not a violation of free will if I make a decision that is destructive and I reap judgment. And when, that, and when I reap that judgment, I say, I don't like this. I'm going to change. That's not taking away my free will. That's simply letting me enjoy, even though you may not like that word, I'm enjoying the consequence of my action. I'm reaping, I'm living in the consequence of my actions. And the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. So if you're watching and you're listening and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, why keep living a hard life? Why live a hard life now? And if you die in your sins... Enter into a place, rightly so, for judgment of sins for all of eternity, a real, literal place called hell, where there's nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why do it? Why not come on over to the winning side? Let's see how the trolls like that in the comment section. Why not come on over to the winning side? I shouldn't, I shouldn't incite the comments, I don't guess. I should be kind. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. If you consider yourself a troll, forgive me. <laughs> Why not come on over to the winning side? Why not put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, be washed clean of your sins, and be given new life? Abundant life. The Lord Jesus Christ said this, The thief, Satan, comes but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And you can have days of heaven, Deuteronomy chapter 11, days of heaven on earth. Matthew chapter 6, 
10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you enter into the goodness of God. So Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar, change, change. Notice what happens. Verse 28, God is so good. I want you to type this in the comments. If you know it and believe it, type in the comments, God is so good. God is so good. Type that in the comments. Jeff Smith knows it whether he'll type it or not. Type it in the comments. God is so good. I like that. Rooted and established added about four or five O's on the so. That's how I feel. Before judgment came against Nebuchadnezzar because of his pride, God sent to Nebuchadnezzar a dream. And then he sent Daniel to interpret the dream and give Nebuchadnezzar a change of heart, an action plan. Before God judged Nebuchadnezzar for his pride, he sent a word through a dream and then Daniel to interpret the dream and then tell him what he should do differently. Now, Nebuchadnezzar still has a choice. Unfortunately, he didn't choose. So why are we looking at these examples of pride? The same reason we looked at the examples of humility. Again, as I mentioned, if you're watching you didn't catch that, we did an entire series, Humility Comes Before Honor, six episodes, over six plus hours of teaching. Go check out the playlist. TikTok, if you go to the link tree, you'll see the playlist. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, it's there on the channels that you're watching on. Why did we study examples of humility? So that we can walk and live in humility. Why are we studying examples of pride? So we can avoid these examples at all costs. When the Word of God comes to you or I, we should receive it happily, readily, and with repentance if necessary. If the Word of God comes to us and it's a correcting word, we should repent and change. When the Word of God comes, it's going to come either to... Look, 2 Timothy 3.16. Let, let's make that very plain. Let me just read it instead of trying to butcher the quotation of it. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 16, All scripture is given by interpretation of God and is profitable. So the word of God will produce in your life if you receive it with faith. What will the word of God do in your life? It's profitable for doctrine. What is doctrine? That's knowledge of God. The knowledge of God that gives us understanding who is God. Who is he? What is his nature? How does he act? Who are we in Christ Jesus? Who do we become when we're made brand new in Christ Jesus? New creations. How do we pray? You know, all kind of things. Uh, how do we give? How do we live? How do we witness? What is righteousness? What is sanctification? That's doctrine. Knowledge of God. For reproof. Reproof is evidence. It's evidence Here's why. Here's the, here's the evidence of the truth. For correction. Correction. So if I'm going down the wrong path, the Word of God will correct me. And for instruction in righteousness. Excuse me. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. For every good work. Daniel chapter 4 verse 28. A word came to Nebuchadnezzar for correction, but did he receive it? All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months he was walking. Notice that. An entire year goes by. He had an entire 
year. Nebuchadnezzar hears the word of the Lord. He gets instruction and interpretation from Daniel. And he has an entire year to change. What happens? At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about in the royal palace of Babylon. Verse 30, the king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They'll make you eat grass like ox. And seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle feathers and his nails like bird claws. The pride of Nebuchadnezzar, he has an entire year to repent and change. Twelve months go by, he's out looking at his kingdom and he said, Hmm, is this not the great Babylon that I built for my majesty? Babylon had grown to a place of prominence because God allowed it. God allowed Babylon to become strong. And certainly, God allowed Babylon to take over Israel because Israel fell into sin, refused to repent. God brought judgment. So that protection that was around Israel was no longer there. Babylon comes and takes it. And certainly to that degree. But also the Bible tells us that God lifts up kingdoms and tears them down. He lifts up kingdoms and He tears them down. That's the whole point of this vision that came. And what we'll see is so that, verse 17, that the Most High rules in the kingdom of heaven, gives it to whomever He wills and sets it over the lowest of men. It's so Nebuchadnezzar can understand that his prominence and his growth of his kingdom came from God. Teresa, long-time listener, a member of the faithful, says, so, God took, so God, did God take his kingdom from him? Well, notice what we're going to keep reading, Teresa. Notice what happens. Verse 34. Daniel 4, verse 34. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar says, For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom, the Lord, is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven. Heaven has an army. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? No one can come to God and say, God, why would you do that? God, when He does it, it's perfect. It's right. It's just. It's holy. It's loving. It's wonderful. It's magnificent. And no one can judge God. Verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. 
my counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was resorted to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the kingdom, king of heaven, all of whose works are truth, and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to bow, he is able to put down. He is able to put down. So Nebuchadnezzar returned after that period of judgment. He returns back to his right mind and he does receive his kingdom, Teresa asked. He comes back into his kingdom. Now, the next chapter, chapter 5, we see his grandson is co-regent or co-ruling with his son. So Nebuchadnezzar eventually is no longer king and his son and grandson begin to co-reign and his son, Nebuchadnezzar's son, is fighting against King Darius, the, uh, Cyrus, Darius, the Medo-Persian king, Belteshazzar, which we'll look at tomorrow. He falls in pride and the end of Babylon comes, but it comes after the life of Nebuchadnezzar. It comes after his life. But what's so important about this is that Nebuchadnezzar had an opportunity to repent of his pride. He did not, and destruction came. And then when he repents, and he gives, and how does Nebuchadnezzar repent? He gives glory and honor to God. He says the truth. Look, God's dominion, it's eternal. It's, free, it's forever. His kingdom is eternal and everlasting, generation to generation. The earth, compared to him, it doesn't compare. He's got an army, and his army brings about his will. No one can stop his hand. Those are powerful prayer points. <laughs> no one can stop your hand, Lord. Lord, I thank you that your will is coming to pass in my life. I submit myself in obedience and humble myself to your will, God. And I thank you that your will is coming to pass in my life, in my marriage, in the life of my children, in my family, in my church, in my city, in my nation. And no one can restrain your hand, O oh Lord. That's a that's powerful prayer, prayer point right there. Now, I'm going to add that to my prayer point. You should too. That is a powerful prayer point. A powerful prayer point. But notice, what does Nebuchadnezzar say? The very last point he makes. And those who walk in pride, he's able to put down. He's able to put down. So as we finish up today, I want you to, I want to, ask, you, I want you to ask yourself a very serious question. We reach so many people as we're streaming in these streams, whether in the live or the replay. The greatest form of pride one person can have, the greatest form of pride a person can have is to not submit to the Lordship of Christ Jesus. The absolute greatest form of pride anyone can have is to not submit to the Lordship of Christ. When you submit to the Lordship of Christ, you humble yourself to his truth. And what is his truth? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. When you put your faith in Jesus, you made a brand new creation. You're washed clean from your sins. 
Every old shameful sinful thing is washed away and behold, all things have become new. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. So if you're watching and you're listening and you've never done that, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I repent of my sins. I ask for forgiveness. Wash me clean. I submit to King Jesus. I believe that you sent your only begotten Son to die on the cross for me, for my sins. And he was buried and he was risen from the grave three days later by your power. By that same power, I believe you're saving me and making me a brand new creation. Lord, I thank you that as I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him, Lord of my life, I am saved. I'm a new creation and I'm set free and made brand new. In Jesus' name. If you believe that and you put your faith in Jesus, and you repent and you turn from that life of sin and you follow Jesus, let me tell you something. Salvation has come. You're made brand new. You made a brand new, brand new creature in Christ Jesus. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.